Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Teriuktena, and today we'll be digging into how to communicate effectively with Akashic beings once you've met them. Working in the Akashics is the traditional way in which indigenous people contact and communicate with other beings. Whether they open themselves up more fully so beings can be anchored here for moments in time, or the person travels through their own Akashic connection to the being, they access the Akashics in order to get answers and effect healing. Communication styles and methods vary both from person to person and culture to culture, while within any given tradition, there may be a variety of methods specific to certain purposes. Mediums access the Akashics as well, honing their skills at being a conduit or translator who relays information between those who are not embodied and those who are. Most ghost and horror stories to the contrary, it's neither easy nor common for recently departed souls to communicate with people who are currently embodied. Souls who have crossed over are living without cause and effect. They've returned to being thinking, experiencing, and feeling everything all at once, responding all at once, and literally being everywhere, nowhere, and multiple places all at once in a way we cannot truly remember or comprehend. Attempting to communicate with people who are still here is, from their perspective, like trying to send a message to passengers on a bullet train going 200 miles per hour, which is 322 kilometers per hour, by making the message heavy and throwing it into a specific window as the train passes. With that said, for the majority of us, these methods of Akashic communication are pretty much beyond our reach and not something we're meant to learn or work with. And thank goodness, because life is complicated enough. However, this doesn't mean we're cut off from or disconnected from Akashic wisdom. Far from it. Most people access the Akashics two to three times per week when they're sleeping. Part of this rest-heal-reset cycle is for our body, but also for our soul and emotions, so all of them can process and resync. It's also a time for our soul to reconnect with our higher self and other beings which have remained behind in the Akashics. We don't often remember this reconnection process, as most of what comes to us is directly inserted into our body-mind energy, somewhat like getting an injection or having a program downloaded into a computer. If we do remember, it's often because we're close to waking and our awareness of who we're interacting with or how is jarring to our consciousness. These dreams are remembered as a sense of having just finished some type of class and everyone is gathering their things and leaving, or we're leaving some familiar yet completely foreign building or place. During these dreams, we may meet with our guides, or they may hand us information which supports us in navigating our current life situations. We may work with our soul teacher to integrate what we've learned and or become up to this point in life, and enter into new projects or goals. We may spend time with our higher self healing and rejuvenating, since life can take its toll on all levels. What is lovely is we can also engage in this type of connection consciously. There are all manner of ways to achieve this. In fact, it can happen quite spontaneously at the most awkward moments. 
like during a yoga class, just as we're finally in the groove we've been trying to achieve for so long. On a run, while singing along to our favorite song on the drive to work, as we're trying to get this blasted assignment done under a stressful deadline. At the gym, while swimming, on vacation, and pretty much any place where our brain is engaged enough to shut up and our soul can tune in. To have things be less spontaneous, random, and thrown over the transom than this, we can choose to connect purposefully through guided visualization and meditation techniques. The easiest way I've found is to go to your Akashic room. For my students, this is the first thing they learn to do. Your room is private to you and filled with items which fully represent the life you're currently living. This helps it feel familiar and also creates a comfortable space to interact with others. Some people have other favorite spaces they go to during meditation and don't realize this is a space in the Akashics which others can visit. As most of us are taught our mind is a closed system and what we're experiencing is just that, our imagination, it can be a revelation to realize a place we thought was something we dreamed up in our heads is real and others can experience it. When people have spontaneous conscious connection with the Akashics, the experience rarely happens in their Akashic room, but rather in a place relevant to the being or interaction they're meant to be having. It can seem like a fantastical outdoor space, or an alien temple, or part of a fantastical library, or something else entirely. If this is the place you know best and is most comfortable, then this is where you should aim if you're going to start purposely working with the Akashics. No matter how you get there, or where you are in the Akashics, working with beings on the other side has some common features which it's helpful to know about ahead of time. These apply pretty much to everyone there, including loved ones who have crossed over, angels and archangels, guides, totems, wisdom beings, librarians, animal guides, and so on. First is the speak when spoken to rule. While we're taught beings on the other side are eager to talk with us for a number of reasons, either because they're loved ones who miss us or teachers who have an important message, this is rarely the experience people actually have. Most who work in the Akashics experience animals and people who are cryptic because they stare, nod, smile, but don't speak or initiate much of anything. Occasionally, a guide will point or lead us to something, but that's about it. One of the most common questions my students have is, what does this mean? Or why was so-and-so there? The problem lies in the speak when spoken to rule. In order to honor our free will, to not interfere with the process of our embodied life, and to, in general, honor us as souls, beings don't take the initiative. Unless there's something urgent, we're heading toward imminent danger to ourselves or others, or we've moved so far off our path we're rapidly losing sight of anything connected to it, they'll remain respectful of our choices. They wait to be invited to communicate with us which is in part where the staring and nodding comes in. No matter what form they're in, since they're actually energy beings and not in bodies, they can communicate with us in our primary language and more fluently than us at times. They just need us to offer the invite. The way to do this is to introduce yourself. Saying, hi, I'm, insert your name here, and I'd love your help, is a great way to start. 
Think of how you would treat somebody who showed up at a meeting, a work party, or just a plain old party you've thrown. While you may know who the person is, if you don't acknowledge them or in any way indicate what you want or what they're expected to do, things can get awkward quick. Also, this is a monkey-see-monkey-do situation. If you stand there staring, not saying anything and thinking things at them, then they'll do the same. If you consciously choose to speak the words out loud in the Akashics with your form there, this invites them to do the same. Second is setting the communication level. For a variety of reasons, people come to expect Akashic beings will communicate via fortune cookie one-liners, Zen cones, obscure poetry, word games, and Confucius-like aphorisms. These seem very weighty in the moment, but afterwards we're left with more questions than before, relatively little which can be practically applied to our current situation, and a deep need to know why we're dealing with things in this way right at this moment. Sometimes there's a reason for this, in that there's a lesson we're supposed to work out for ourselves. It's a bit like a spelling bee, where the judge can give only so much information because the purpose is for the person to spell it themselves, and messing it up is as much a part of the process as getting it right. Other times, this is happening because what we're asking is not for answers or support, but for someone else to be responsible for things which are ours to decide, do, or work through. In this case, the communication is a gentle or not-so-gentle way of explaining mm, not it. However, it happens just as often that there is no reason for this type of answer other than our expectations. If we expect our guides or angels will speak to us in rhyming octuplets, couch everything in apocalyptic imagery, or be incredibly cryptic like Yoda, then they will be polite and comply. I've seen readers who expected their guides to make pronouncements in King James English, or a lost language, and so they do on a regular basis. This then requires the reader to attempt to translate things into something more understandable, and sometimes context or the gist of things can go a bit slantwise or get lost altogether in the process. All Akashic beings have the ability to communicate in whatever embodied language, which has or does now exist. They also have the ability to read our energy signature and so gain access to the specific symbols, vocabulary, and associations we are most familiar with. This means they can adjust the language to be remarkably clear for us. The thing is, they need to know this is what we want and expect when communicating with them. The easiest thing to do is to respectfully state this to them. You can say you would like to talk to them in plain language of your choice, or mention you would prefer this type of conversation in the same way you'd tell someone how you take your coffee or tea. While they might have other ideas in mind of how best to work with you in the moment, this at least opens the door for things to be clearer and more practical. The third thing is not to be fooled by the form, either animals or objects. In embodied life, there are some rules we learn quite early, like the fact animals don't talk. They can communicate in a variety of forms, but except in TV and movies, they don't talk out loud in human languages. Same goes for trees and plants. While myths, legends, and fairy tales have them acting like humans, including making dubious moral choices, 
in real life, we're taught they don't speak or even truly communicate other than through chemical interaction. However, communication limitations of this nature don't exist in the Akashics. As communication there has nothing to do with the physical nature of your form, beings presenting as animals, plants, or even what we would consider inanimate objects can communicate just as clearly as those in human form. So don't assume the animals you meet up with can't speak to you. Remember the speak when spoken to rule, introduce yourself, and let them know you'd prefer regular language answers. You'll be amazed at how much additional wisdom and guidance you'll receive. For those who want to connect with their guides or other beings in the Akashics and haven't taken my classes, I've created a meeting your guides meditation. I'll put a link to it in the description of this podcast. And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be talking about past lives and how they can be used as a means to retrieve wisdom and experience in order to solve current problems, as well as heal issues in this embodied life. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to show it some love on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.